My mic being on, that's what it was about. I don't know, 30 years ago, I was sitting with um, one of the board members for the university I attended, Huntington University, and uh, she challenged me with this thought. Like, I felt like the enemy was really pressing in against me, and, uh, and I was sharing some of the battles that I was facing with her. She was a longtime family friend from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, and she was out at Huntington, and she took me to Subway, and she said this to me. She said, when you consider the powerful name of Jesus the one who has given you his Holy Spirit to reside in you, and you can call on that powerful name of Jesus any moment of any day, whether your head is laying on the pillow or you're wrestling over some hard truth in your office, no matter where you are, this is what she said. Because of the magnificence and the power and the size of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when the enemy whispers in your, ear, in your ear, if you had a chance to look into the spiritual realm, he's probably like this tall, just tall enough to, to whisper in your ear. When you consider who our Lord and Savior is, that makes him really, really small, doesn't it? I am so happy to see you here today. I'm so happy to know that Jesus Christ is Lord of Summit Church. And uh, we're going to take a moment here and pray and we're going to ask that the powerful name of Jesus would have that the powerful Jesus would have his way in the life of this church and so let's pray father we come before you right now and lord as the enemy is probably um, concerned with what's happening in the life of this church we're asking now just as you have promised in Psalm 139 that you would build a hedge of protection around us that you would hem us in behind and before that you would lay your almighty and protective hand on us, that you would blow us away with the knowledge of who you are, that we would walk out of here saying, this is, this is too wonderful for me, it's too lofty for me to attain. Thank you, God, for the power that comes through simply speaking, speaking the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. And now, Lord, as we continue on in our worship service, I'm asking, Lord, that you, um, you would declare your word to your church. Lord, that whatever distraction might exist right now, you would press it away, push it down, um, cast it aside. And I ask, Lord, that you um, would penetrate the heart of each one that's here today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Last week, Jasper started for us. Um, this new sermon series that we began that's called Blueprint, and uh, Blueprint, the Summit Design. And as you consider what it means to be a part of Summit Church, um, Jasper shared with us, according to Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2 in particular, before we build, we need to understand the type of person or the type of people that God is actually looking for um, to bring into his church. And this is who he's looking for. This is who God is looking for. But the one to whom I will look, he says, is the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The person that God looks for is the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at the word of God. And I pray um, today that that identifies you. Um, that you can relate to that, that you have experienced the full work of Jesus Christ on the cross as he's poured himself out on you, as he's revealed to you how much you are not apart from him, 
and how much you are as he has poured himself into you, giving you a trust and a faith in him as your Lord and Savior. The humble and contrite in spirit trembles at the word of God in every moment, every time you open the word. It's my hope, it's my prayer that you tremble at it, that it's revealing things to you about who God is and about who you are not. And I'm hopeful that that's who Summit Church is. That's at least what we're straining toward and straining for. Now, as we begin, as we began this series this, that, we're, that we're calling Blueprint, we're looking at what the mission of the church is. We're going to be looking at our pillars. And, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be t- spending some time looking at what our foundation is. But, but we want to make sure we're clear about this. There is not, we're not here to exalt Summit Church. We're here to exalt Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And if you were to turn to, and don't do it right now, but if you were to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, where, where the Apostle Paul is addressing the relationship of husband and wife in the home, he declares this of Jesus, that he is the head of the church. And he is the one who was our head that we desire to, to honor and glorify in the life of this church. He is the one that we want to exalt. He is the head of the church, which is his body, and he himself is our savior. But over the next couple of weeks, we're going to exalt the foundation. Now, I want you to think about this blueprint. Where would the building of any structure begin except at the foundation? Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God, and as you see it on the, on the screen right now, we have, and if we had more room across the top, you would see what the mission of our church is. And then, of course, you can see these are things, if you come to Summit Church, if this is your home, these are um, qualities, characteristics that should identify you, someone who's authentic in their worship, someone who's fervent in prayer, someone who has a personal evangelistic heart in them that desires to see the lost saved, one who is committed to and determined to be growing spiritually and in their relationship with the Lord, and then one who is able to and growing in what it means to express the genuine love of Christ. These are things that should identify you. But now imagine if we went after these things in the life of our church without our foundation being Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. Now you see we have Jesus Christ and the Word of God. So there's a twofold purpose for our foundation. We believe it's very, very important for us to focus on Jesus and what it means to be in deep and meaningful and passionate relationship with him. But we also understand that we're going to see today in John chapter 1 that you cannot separate the person of Jesus Christ from the word of God. John chapter 1 declares, in the beginning was the word, that is Jesus, The Word was with God, that is Jesus who was with God, and the Word was God. You cannot separate the person of Jesus Christ from his Word. And so that's why we have Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Today, we're going to focus on the all-important pursuit of deep, meaningful, passionate relationship with the Lord. Next week, we're going to look at what the Word of God has to say about itself and about who he is. And so when you think about this, think about pursuit of relationship with Jesus. Some of us cringe at that, thinking, I just want to spend time studying doctrine and what the Word of God has to say about who God is. 
And so you'll cringe at the thought of let's work towards deepening, using the word love, deepening our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Some would cringe at the thought that we need to spend time in the Word of God. I just want to passionately pursue my relationship with the Lord. And the thought of studying doctrine and spending time to see what the Word of God has to say about himself, we can, I just want to pursue him. I want to sit at his feet and revel in the truth that I have been saved. You cannot separate the two. The Word of God declares who He is and what we do with who He is and what we're supposed to do because of who He is. Everything points to the person of Jesus Christ as we work toward being in deep and meaningful relationship with Him. Listen to what He said to Peter. As Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, excuse me, yes, Matthew chapter 16 was saying to Peter, who do people say that I am? And then he comes around and he says to Peter, Peter, who do you say I am? And he says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, it's on this rock, on Jesus Christ, on myself, on the gospel message is where I'm going to build my church, the solid and firm foundation of the person of Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus goes on to say that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, he will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the flood came and when the winds blew and beat the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and not on something else. That's what we want to be about in Summit Church is the establishment of and the recognition of Jesus Christ and his word as our foundation. So as we build up, we can trust that he's going to take us where we, he wants us to go. So Christ is the, sum, is the foundation of Summit Church. This is why we take this so seriously. There's a day coming according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where each one of us is going to pass through this fire that's going to reveal to us the works that we did. And the Apostle Paul says it this way, that according to the grace of God that was given to him, like a skilled master, he says that he laid a foundation That's the gospel message. The apostle Paul laid the foundation of the gospel message. And then he says, let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so he says, Summit Church, I want you to be very careful about how you build on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold and silver and precious stones, or he uses gold and silver and precious stones, or he uses wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The day is coming, church, where we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to have to answer for how we built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. These things are a big deal to us, and it all must come from the establishment of who Jesus is as we passionately pursue relationship with him and what the word of God has to say about who he is. And so, last week, Jasper shared the people God is looking for. I suppose today you could think of it in these terms. If last week was the people God is looking for, those who are humble and contrite and trembling at the word of God, today, let's consider it this. 
the person the people should be looking for or the God the people should be looking for. Our foundation, this is part one, is God in the flesh. Jesus came. He is the one that we should be looking for. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us. As I've poured over these 18 verses and Rick Paver, um, he's, one of, he's one of my guys that I count on to help hold me accountable to, to staying firm and tight to the word of God. He said, you're going to preach 18 verses? He said, you could preach two weeks on just the first verse. And I said, I know. I said, but John Piper did it. So if he can do it, I suppose I can't, but I'm going to try anyway. But there are pieces through, there are just, there are nuggets through this. I didn't know how to separate it. I didn't know where to start. So I thought, well, we're just going to start at verse one. But as I poured over this passage of scripture, why did you come, Jesus? Why did you come in the flesh continues even in this moment to penetrate my heart and my mind? He was in this absolutely perfect place in an absolutely perfect relationship with God the Father. He had no need for anything, and yet he chose, he chose to step out of that place next to God the Father, that perfect place, perfect relationship, and step into this messy, messy world that we live in. And you know what? It's no messier today than it was then. The world has been a mess since Adam and Eve chose rebellion against God. It's been a mess. But you know what plagues me even more than thinking about God as Jesus in the flesh stepping into this world? What, what, what's harder for me to accept is not that he stepped into this messy world, but through stepping into this world in the flesh, going to the cross, to pay the ultimate price so that we could be restored to relationship with him. What's harder for me is that he chooses to step into my heart. I agree with the Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, and I can declare myself to be the chief among all sinners. And I ask our God through his spirit to dwell in my heart and to walk this earth with me as I learn what it means to love him and to serve him. That's hard. It's really hard. But he did it, praise God. He came in the flesh. And now you and I get to experience relationship with him through the spirit that he has given us because of the cross. All right, so turn to John 1. We're going to look at the first 18 verses. And I have a dear sister in Christ. She texted Wendy this morning and she said, I don't want to be a distraction to Todd. So I'm going to text you. Well, Wendy texted me. And so ultimately, ultimately it became a distraction. And guess what she's praying against? Distractions. And I love that. Thanks, Katie, wherever you are. I love that that's what she's praying for because I'm about to read the word of God, 18 verses. And here's what, if you are anything like me, here's what you'll be tempted to do. Let your mind wander. I wonder what's for lunch. I wonder if the weather's going to be nice when I leave here. I wonder what small group's going to be like tonight. I wonder, that's what your temptation is going to be. But understand this, the words that come from my mouth are only intended to be a reflection of what these 18 verses are saying. So I want you to fight to listen to every word and receive them as God intends for us to receive them. John chapter 1. Lord, remove all distractions as the word, as your word is read, and I pray this in Jesus' name. 
Here we go, beginning at verse 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of only, as, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So I have this question that continues um, to, to rattle through my mind. Why did he come? Why did Jesus come? But I suppose before we get to that, you, we actually need to, need to settle into believing that he actually did come. Because I know there are many who don't believe that God came in the flesh. But we must come to a place where we actually believe that Jesus did come in the flesh. I dealt with this a long time ago, and the Lord settled in my heart that Jesus came in the flesh to do what he did on the cross. And this is what the Lord has taught me to do. Lean into the confidence of John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Lean into his confidence. Listen to how hard he is trying to convince the reader that Jesus actually came in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, John declares. And in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and declares that we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John knew Jesus in a deep and passionate and meaningful relational way. He walked with him. He learned from him. He listened to him. He saw him. He embraced him. He knew. He saw his glory. Peter, James, and John were taken to a mountain where they saw Jesus transfigured and they saw him in his fullness of glory. John has seen it, and he's declaring, John chapter 20, now Jesus did many other things than he actually wrote in this book, John says. So many different things, 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John declaring, Jesus is the Son of God, and he came in the flesh. Listen to what he says in John 1, the first, first John, in the first four verses of that letter. That which was from the beginning, the word of God, Jesus, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, Jesus, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, Christ coming in the flesh, and we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that we, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us and fellowship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son. We write these things so that our joy may be complete. This is a man who is writing, giving an account, trying to convince each reader, you and me, of the truth of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh to ultimately go to the cross and then be raised again from the dead to pay the penalty for you and me. I'm personally settled that Jesus came in the flesh, and it's my prayer that you are too. If you've come into relationship with this one that came into the flesh, you have experienced his life. You've experienced the light that comes from him. And Ephesians chapter 2 says it's a matter of faith. It is by faith you have been saved. This is a gift of grace that's been extended to you so that you would believe that Jesus is who he says he is and as John proclaims him to be. So as you settle, please settle and believe that Jesus came in the flesh The question then remains, why did you come, Jesus? Why did you step into this world? Why did you choose to bear with us? I'd like to put in front of you some reasons why he maybe could have chosen to not come. Reasons against coming. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So you see, Jesus... The Son of God who is declared, the declared, declared to be the Word of God, He is with God in this absolutely perfect place. Well, think about that. He's in a perfect place and in perfect relationship with God the Father. He doesn't have any need. Why would He step out and come to earth in the flesh? So here's the way I liken it. I want you to go real quickly to your favorite place. Whatever your favorite place is, if you're a hunter, I would suppose it wouldn't be in the Appalachian Mountains according to my mother-in-law because she doesn't believe they're mountains anyway. She's from the Rocky Mountains. And so since the valleys aren't as deep in the Appalachians, why don't you just go on out to the Rockies? And I want you to imagine right now that you were on horseback at like four o'clock in the morning, your gun strapped to your side, and you, were, you see the stars above and the mountains on each side, um, the silhouettes of them as you were riding up to the place where you're going to eventually sit, and the sun's going to come up, and you're going to see the beautiful yellow aspens of the fall, and across the way you're going to see the green evergreens of the Rocky Mountains, and you're going to see the snow-capped mountains over here, and it's going to be a perfect day. It's going to be like 62 degrees, no bugs, slight breeze in your favor, 
and you're going to see a string of elk walking past you, and you're going to see the six by six or seven by seven. And the, and the, and the scene is going to be so perfect, you're going to choose, you know what, I came out here to shoot that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to let it go because it's absolutely perfect. And then I want you to have right next to you the person that you most want to be with. All right? For me, it's Wendy and me for our 15th anniversary on a beach in Grenada. Absolutely perfect. Perfect place to be. White sand in our feet. You can see into the water because it's so clear. The weather is always perfect. The sun is always perfect. I am with the person I want to be with the most. Why would we ever want to leave those scenes? So maybe it's not hunting in the Rocky Mountains for you or going to a beach in the Caribbean. Where is your favorite place? Now I want you to go there. Here we go. You're with your favorite person. And all of a sudden you're like, it's time to go. But here's what you're coming back to. You're coming back to your family and your friends in your church. You're coming back to your family, your friends, and your church, and guess what? They don't even know who you are. And you spend three years trying to convince those people that are most dear to you who you are and what you mean to them and what they mean to you. And they get so irritated with you, they reject you, and they want nothing to do with you. And they get so fed up with your efforts to prove who you are that they're just, they just decide, you know what? Your own family's going to hang you on a cross and they're going to put you to death because they're sick and tired of you hearing about who you are. Jesus was in a perfect place. The Word was in a perfect place. He was in perfect relationship. And he came knowing that he would be rejected by those who were his own. Verse 10 says, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. You coming back? If that's what you're walking into, I don't know, I could sit on the beach a long, long time. I could let time heal some wounds. I could sit in that mountain a long, long time if I knew that's what I was coming back to. But Jesus chose to come back. Here's another one, reason why he didn't need to come back. He's God. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He could have chosen to take his holy fingers and wipe it through mankind and just wipe away every sin. He chose not to do that. He could have said when Adam and Eve fell, he could have said, you know what? I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start all over. He could have done that. He could have, Noah said, you know what? I know what's going to happen to Noah and his family. They're going to become corrupt, and everyone after that, why don't we just wipe them out and start all over? Well, we're coming to why he didn't do that. The Word was with God. He didn't need to leave, and he chose to. He's God, and he chose, according to his predetermined plan, to do it exactly the way he did, and we're going to come to why that's such an awesome thing that he chose to do it the way he did it. All right? Reasons why he shouldn't. So the question continues to remain, why did you come, Jesus? So here are reasons for coming, because he had to bring life and light. 
In him was life, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What's the opposite of life and light? Death and darkness. You know where that comes from. What did God the Father say? What did God say to Adam? You can have everything you want, everything that's pleasing to the eye, but this one thing I'm asking you not to touch. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve chose poorly. They ate and they brought into this world death because God said, the moment you touch this and you eat of it, you're going to die. Well, they eventually did die, but God is also speaking of the separation of relationship that they were experiencing with God. You can't be in right relationship with me now. Death came. Darkness came. Do me a favor. The next time you're in a three-hour drive anywhere, don't listen to a podcast. Don't listen to music. Just sit there and drive in silence. I just did that. Three-hour drive to Indiana, three-hour drive back. And I didn't listen to music, and I didn't listen to a podcast. I just let this passage continue to wash over me. I don't need to look back to Adam and Eve to see the death and darkness that comes as a result of their mistake. All I need to do is revisit my own past. And I see moment after moment after moment, I see people lined up that I would love to seek their forgiveness for misrepresenting Jesus Christ to them. Anything I do of the flesh, anything you do of the flesh is this death. It's darkness. We needed Jesus to come in the flesh and bring what this passage says, life and light. And guess what? The moment it comes onto the scene, there is no darkness that can stand against it. The light shines into the heart of the individual. It reveals the sin. It brings us to a place where we become humble and contrite before our Lord and bow our knees in submission to him. Jesus came because he wanted to bring life and light. Praise be to God for that. He came also to bring grace and truth. And the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. We have seen his glories of only the son full of what? Both grace and truth. A hundred percent grace in the person of Jesus Christ. A hundred percent truth. It's not like 50-50. He is all grace and he is all truth. And he brought them both. What's the opposite of grace and truth? How about this? Judgment and deceit. Apart from Apart from Christ coming in the flesh, this is our existence. We stand condemned before God because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Darkness, death. Without grace and truth, we stand in judgment before our God. And we are ultimately deceived. There's no truth. What does Jeremiah 17 say? For all, hold on. 
Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you and me. That's us. In our flesh, we are dead and we are stuck in darkness. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand? It's not us. We can't understand because we are deceived. Apart from Christ coming in the flesh, there is no grace and there is no truth. But he came, and in the fullness of Christ coming, we get all of his grace, his undeserved favor. He removes the condemnation from us. He gives us right standing before him when we don't deserve it. He brings truth and gives us the ability to understand who he is and what the word of God has to say about why we should be doing what we're doing for his sake and for his glory. He brings grace and truth. Grace upon grace, verse 16 says, for from his fullness, fullness of Jesus, he is full of grace and truth. We have grace upon grace. So let's go back to our car ride where the enemy is provoking you to think about all of the failures of your past. And you rehearse them. And you know what? Paul says, hey, forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Strain toward Jesus Christ. But the enemy, as you sit in the car, he's, he's, he's causing your mind to wander on things and failures of the past. And then you read this, that Jesus came. He provides his truth for us. And his grace is poured out on us, his grace upon grace. And you can say to the enemy, you can say to your own heart, this doesn't matter anymore. Because grace upon grace, his storehouse of grace is never empty. It is always full. His undeserved favor toward you is in a constant state of flowing to you, no matter how messy your life has been. Praise God for the fullness of his grace. He came to bring light and life. He came to bring grace and truth, and he came to reveal his glory. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And John says, we have seen his glory, glory as of only the son from the father, full of grace and truth. So what's the opposite of glory? Without Christ in this world having come, shame, humiliation, condemnation, contempt. It's pretty much us apart from God, isn't it? But he comes and he reveals his glory. He wanted us to see his glory. So imagine this now. Don't imagine this. This is, this is like real. Moses, way back when, is standing on a mountaintop and he's having a conversation with God, and he says, God, I want to see your face. And God's like, whoa, Moses, you have no idea what you're asking. Hold on a second. I want you to go, and I want you to hide in that, in that rock, and when I pass by, you cannot see my face, because if you're exposed to my glory, it will incinerate you, and you're gone. Nothing left. So hide in that rock, And as I pass by, I'll cover your face, and then you can see my goodness as it passes by you. Now, what's John saying? That same glory that would have taken Moses' life, 
I got to walk with and witness Jesus Christ, glory expressed through himself in the flesh of the glory of God. That's outrageous. Would have killed Moses, but he got to witness and listen to and watch and embrace and walk alongside and ask questions and receive answers from the glorious one. He even had the privilege on the Mount of Transfiguration, himself, James, himself, Peter, and James, to see God, to see Jesus in the fullness of his glory. And didn't take his life. Jesus came to reveal his glory. So, he came to bring life. He came to bring light. He came to extend to us his grace and his truth. He came to show us his glory. And I pray to God as you interact with brothers and sisters in Christ, as you open the word, as you spend time in prayer, the Lord is continuing to reveal more and more of his glory to you. But now listen to this. That's why he came. He came for all of that. But, but it's time to sum it up. Okay, so I have, a, I have two grandkids. I feel like I'm not old enough to have grandkids, and I want to call them my niece and nephew. Actually, I have six nieces and nephews. They're actually my grandkids. And two of them are in the phase where you, you can never provide enough answer. So Oakland and Lila, Reed and Sammy's too. I think of Lila. Hey, you know, whatever. Can we still play outside? No, it's time to go in. Why? Well, because it's about to get dark out. Why? Well, because the sun's going down. Why? Uh, well, because the earth is rotating, and which means that, Why? And you know where you ultimately go, right? Because God said, it's that, that's the way God made it. That still doesn't satisfy. Why? I don't know. It's just the way he chose to do it. So let's sum it up. I still, as I read through this passage, I still go, why, Lord, why, Lord, why, Lord? But I want to go back to one. Jesus came in the flesh for this reason. Yes, he came back to, back to bring light and life. Yes, he came back to extend to us his grace and his truth. Yes, he came back to show us his glory. But all of that, as he walked through this life in the flesh, straight to the cross, the glorious one who was without sin, to give his life as a sacrifice so you and I could be in restored relationship with him. He did all of that. Why? Because he loves you and he desires to be loved by you. That's why he came. Jesus came to love and to be loved. He came to claim his own and to be in relationship with you and me. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive, not the ones that reject him, but to the ones who received, verse 12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God determining that you would be born of him. He claims you as his own child. He brings you into relationship with him because he loves you so much and desires to be loved by you. Why didn't he simply start over with Adam and Eve? Because he could have done that. So I want to come back to that. Why didn't, he's God. He could have said, Adam and Eve, gone. I'm starting with two new ones. Or he could have said, Noah and family, gone. I'm starting over with new people. But he didn't. And when you think about who Adam and Eve were and who they are to you and me, children of God exist from Adam and Eve to you and me. And the great love of our God looked past Adam and Eve and saw every son and every daughter of his and knew if he started over, then then his children wouldn't be there. That makes sense? If he doesn't if he starts over with some a couple other than Adam and Eve, you and I don't exist. Yet in his in his incredible foreknowledge and complete understanding of all things, he looked through the channels of time and he saw every child of his, everyone that would believe, everyone that he had determined would see, he would see and would, that would come and be in relationship with him. That's why he didn't start over with Adam and Eve. That's why he chose, according to his predetermined plan, to let things run the course they did, that he would eventually end up in the flesh here on earth to go to the cross for you and me to deal with it that way so that we could be in relationship with him. John experienced relationship with Jesus in the flesh. The writer of this book. You and I currently experience relationship with him by his spirit in us. You remember he said to the disciples, hey, I know, well, you're not going to like this, but I'm going to go away. And you're not going to, it's not going to go, you're just not going to like that. But I must so that the helper can come, the Holy Spirit can come. So Jesus leaves, he's raised from the dead, pours his Holy Spirit out on the disciples. So John was in a pretty awesome place. He got to experience what relationship with God was in the flesh. He also got to experience what it was like to have relationship with God in the spirit. For us, we only know in the spirit, but listen to this, one day, because Jesus came in the flesh, because Jesus came in the flesh, one day, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, the day is coming, but then what? Face to face, we will experience our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the flesh. For now we see dimly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. The day is coming where we'll pass through that refiner's fire. We'll stand before the Lord and we will see him face to face and be able to experience him, not just in relationship through the spirit, but also in the flesh.
Wendy and I were able to go and see our son and daughter and their three kids in Canada. I hadn't seen them for a year, over a year and a half. And you know, church, how unsatisfying it is to be in relationship with people as you look at a screen on a phone or a computer. How absolutely unsatisfying that is. Oh yeah, we can handle it for a little while, but eventually the longing to be able to experience relationship together takes over and you're willing to do what's necessary in order to be in physical proximity and relationship with these people. I can't tell you after a year and a half of not seeing them how absolutely wonderful and glorious it was to be able to embrace them all, to have those kids sit on my lap, to have face-to-face conversations around the table. That day is coming for us with Jesus. Yes, we can experiencing him now through the wonderful place of prayer as we pour over his word, as we fellowship together and see Christ expressed through each other. But the day is coming where we will be able to experience him in the flesh. So I have two questions I want to leave you with, okay? So here we go. Jesus came in the flesh, all right? I hope you're settled on that. If you're not, I want you to come down and have a talk with me after. God is not broken in the love he extends to us. Agreed? Not. But guess what's broken? Our love to him. There are things we permit to get in the way to, between us and loving God. So here's your question as you leave. What are the things that you love more than Jesus? Because he says to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, he says, I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance and how you can, cannot bear with those who are evil. Sounds like us. Like, this is, like that's us. That's Summit Church. That's what I want to be about but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you endure patiently and are bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. I, man, that sounds awesome. I would love for that to identify our church. I would love for that to identify my heart. And then he goes on to say, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Nothing's wrong with all that good stuff, but none of that matters if you are not pursuing meaningful and deep and real, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. What would Jesus have against you right now? What are the things that come between you and you loving him? Let's pray. Father, as I look through this magnificent passage and I think about the life and the light that you brought, praise be to you for bringing that. Praise be to you for bringing life and light. Praise be to you for extending to us um, this undeserved favor, grace, and for coming and extending to us truth. Thank you, Lord, for showing us your glory. Lord, forgive us for when we permit things to come between us and you, things we love more than you. 
Lord, drive us to our knees in confession. For some of us, it's ourselves in our own way. For some of us, it's our marriage. For some of us, it's our kids. For others, it's toys. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that your conviction would fall on the heart of each one now. Turn our love and affection to you. Stir in us, Lord. Make our desire to be for you and you alone. Drive us into meaningful and passionate relationship with you. Thank you for your patience, for loving us as you do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.